Hey everyone, it's Valentine's Day, and I thought I'd make a special episode and talk about love and romance in the other animals. When it comes to dating, relationships, and generally our love lives, it seems us humans have some pretty big challenges. From fearing rejection to not knowing if somebody really likes us, navigating our romantic lives can be a complicated affair. You know what can help? Other animals. How can we date like other animals? Today, I'm going to tell you. Hang on, it's going to be a wild ride. Welcome to Wild Connection, the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Vertolin, but you can just call me Dr. Jen. I'm a scientist and author that studies animal behavior. I live in the United States with my beautiful senior cat, Senor Antonio Botones. I'm passionate about animals and I love helping people reconnect with nature to live better lives. This podcast is about you, other animals, and how we are connected in this crazy, wild thing called life. You can get the show notes and more on my website, jenniferverdelin.com. If you like my show, please subscribe to it so you never have to miss an episode. Okay, so a couple of years ago, I wrote this little book called Wild Connection, What Animal Courtship and Mating Tell Us About Human Relationships. And this book came about in an unusual way, I think. I had been reflecting on my disastrous dating life, having just gotten out of a pretty bad relationship. It occurred to me that a lot of other species don't seem to have the same difficulties that we do. And so I started considering, well, why are other species doing such a better job than the human species? When I started examining the romantic lives, if you will, of other species, I began to see some similarities between them and ourselves, which of course makes a lot of sense because at the end of the day, we are animals. Now, I don't anthropomorphize animals, I zoomorphize people. And the reality is that we share an evolutionary history with every living thing. And as a result of this shared history and our own, we have certain tendencies or behaviors that really have their roots in biology. And I believe that by looking deeply at this and by using animal behavior as a contextual prism, we can gain some insight into why we do what we do, when and if that makes sense. And then, thanks to our very large brains, we can even pick and choose different ways to be so that we can have a better outcome. We're not constrained from changing like many other species. Well, most of us anyway. As I began exploring this connection we share with other species when it comes to our romantic lives, first by taking stock of my own behavior, particularly in relationships, I realized that if a chicken can make a better choice in mates than me, PhD holder in animal behavior, and expert on social and mating systems, then something was terribly wrong. Not because chickens are brilliant. I mean, they are, in their own very chicken kind of way. But still, if we're so much smarter and more complex and can read self-help books, go to therapy, etc., how is it that a chicken doesn't have to do any of that and still manages to pick the best possible mate for her given the types of relationships that chickens have. 
could understand the strategies that other animals use to navigate the treacherous waters of dating and relationships. And if we started to make some decisions and behaved in ways that were based on what we see in other animals, could we have a more successful outcome? My rationale was simple. With all the animals I watched, you never see some of the things that we see in humans. Female giraffes probably aren't running around confused about whether or not they can get a date. You don't see harlequin male ducks chasing down females only to lose interest in them once they've caught them. And you definitely don't see domestic violence in the faithful and monogamous prairie vole. So after experimenting a little bit with my own relationships, I thought I would bring to you the Animal Pocket Guide to Dating. Why? Well, we have this ideal of what we think relationships are or should be, and often what we end up with is a lot less than what we expected. Now, I could have just stuck with reading papers, but I'm a field biologist, so I decided to test out a few of these ideas and basically donate my love life to science for a little while, go out into the field, the dating field, and collect some data. I have vetted some of these ideas that I'm going to share with you today. How did I do that? How did I collect my data? I went on dates. A lot of dates. Which means I really drank a lot of coffee. I did have a few happy hour beverages. There were a couple of dinners. Oh, and I even tried a speed dating event. Not all dates went well, but... All of the dates were very informative, and everything I discovered applies to whether you're dating or in a long-term relationship. Now, I can't share everything with you in this podcast, and you can always order an audiobook of Wild Connection, What Animal Courtship and Mating Tell Us About Human Relationships, from my website, jenniferverdelin.com. For this episode, I'm going to use a few dates and a few animal examples so that I can give you the animal pocket guide to dating. I'll highlight some of the basic principles that animals use to select a mate and suggest that it might benefit us to heed their advice. Let's kick things off with one of my favorites. I like to call him flip-flop man. Why? Because that's about as much effort as he put into his appearance. Basically, this guy showed up in a tank top, ripped Bermuda shorts, and well, flip-flops. I think that says it all, but I'm also going to say that this was not a good look. It was not a very good first impression. One could say that I'm just being really shallow, uh, making judgments about the cover of the book instead of the book itself, but the reality is that it would be the equivalent of, of, say, like a male peacock spreading out his tail and having absolutely no feathers on it. That wouldn't do much to impress a female peacock, and they have high standards. Females basically dismiss any non-showy male almost immediately. We know that in humans, within one-tenth of a second of looking at someone, we've made some decisions about them from their attractiveness to their friendliness, their trustworthiness, and even their competence. That's faster than it takes many of us to even wink at someone. We always say don't judge a book by its cover, 
But when we look at animals, appearances matter a lot. And whether or not we like to admit it, obviously the same is true for us. The question is, is there a biological reason why we pay so much attention to appearance and even why first impressions matter so much? If I were to show you two faces, one that was 100% symmetrical and one that was about 50% symmetrical, so a tad on the crooked side, you might decide that the one that's perfectly symmetrical is the more attractive face. Ironically, the same is true for peahens. When it comes to picking a peacock, females are so picky that only males with 150 spots are considered super sexy. Now, there aren't a bunch of peahens running around learning how to count spots. What we've found, at least researchers have found, is that males with over 150 spots are very, very symmetrical. The takeaway from this isn't that you have to be perfectly symmetrical or that, hey, it's okay to judge someone just based on their attractiveness. The point is, is that one, we do pay attention to appearance and there's some pretty good biological reasons for that. But second, that it's absolutely okay to be picky. So if you're one of those people who's heard from, you know, those helpful relatives and friends, you're just being too picky. Not to worry. Now you have science in the form of an endless list of wild animals on your side. Being choosy is perhaps the most important rule of thumb. But even for animals, physical attraction is only the first pass where pickiness comes into play. Those animals that are looking for long-term mates are choosy on other traits in addition to physical attractiveness. What do they pay attention to? Personality and how compatible they are. So tip number one, go ahead, be choosy. The second example I want to use for my second tip is the date that wasn't Tyson Beckford. So basically, uh, I was asked out on a date and I met the person, you know, it was one of those apps where you go with pictures and then it was time to meet in person. Well, there I was sitting at a little French cafe waiting for my date to arrive. And when someone tapped me on the shoulder, I turned around and I didn't recognize him at all. So he didn't look like his picture. The thing here is if your computer savvy friend or if you're computer savvy and Photoshopping your photo for that online profile, you are doing something called false advertising. And it doesn't have to be just about appearance. Have you ever stretched the truth a tiny bit so that it seemed like you share the exact same interests as the hot date sitting across from you at the table? Sure, honey, I love to go antiquing. We only have to look to other animals to conclude that this is not the best approach. You never see hawks with claw extensions and you never ever see elk with fake antlers. The reason for this is that other animals, individuals rely on traits as honest signals. What would happen if a male elk had hollow antlers? Well, when it comes to getting a female to mate with them, males usually have to fight it out, male elk anyway, that we're talking about. So if a male had hollow antlers, there would only be really two things that could happen. One, he would lose the fight and probably die, or he would run from the fight 
and not get the girl. Female elk watch these battles between the males pretty closely, and they always choose the winner because there's a link between performance and quality. There are checks and balances in other animals that largely prevent deception when it comes to appearance. And well, frankly, even personality. Now, don't get me wrong. Even some animals do try to get away with pretending to offer more than what they really have, but they usually aren't very successful. Of course, that's because of tip number one, and being choosy means that you rarely get fooled. So tip number two is about being honest. So you have to be honest about who you are and what you look like. Now, full disclosure, there is one animal that throws honesty out the window when it comes to appearance and trying to attract a mate. Female long-tailed dance flies receive all of their much-needed protein from males as a gift before mating, which sets the stage for some picky-picky males because females are competing pretty heavily for these delicious treats. So some females lie. How do they lie? Well, the males prefer larger females. It pays to be a big female. Well, because the male figures, the bigger the female, the more eggs she can lay. So he gets more bang for his buck, so to speak. So some females who aren't very big at all will swallow air into their abdomen so that it gets bigger and bigger. And this is a way to trick the males. And unfortunately, it kind of works, not 100% of the time, but enough that there's a good portion of males out there who get fooled. There's only one thing to do. Be yourself, have some flair, but only flash honest traits. And of course, the idea is to be honest about all of your traits, not just the physical ones. The good news for being human, that's us, is that there's so much variation in humans that really there is someone for everyone. Okay, so far we've got two tips, be choosy and be honest. Now comes the third tip. And this really has to do with deciding what you're up to in the first place. There are all kinds of relationships out there and you've got to have a clear idea of what kind you're interested in. Are you only interested in the squirrely kind of hookup? Maybe you just want to hang out for a few months and you don't want to make it permanent, kind of like the serial monogamist, the American lobster. Or maybe you want to find your forever mate like the barnacle goose. The reason this matters so much is that because the information you need and the information you use to have a fly-by-night squirrely type of love is very different from the longer-term relationships. If you're in a short-term fling, you don't need to evaluate personality or compatibility. Well, other than one type of compatibility, because it doesn't really matter. Animals, though, that stay together for a season or a lifetime, they date before they mate. Dating is like information gathering. Whether you're a barnacle goose and you do it for a few weeks, or you're an albatross and you do it for a few years, they don't mate first and date later. And at least in the case of barnacle geese, they don't get back together after they've broken up. Yes, other animals do have breakups. One big difference between us and other animals is that other animals don't get confused about what they're up to, meaning they don't think they want a relationship like barnacle geese 
while acting like a squirrel. They don't misrepresent what they want. This goes back to that honesty thing. There's nothing wrong with being a squirrel if that's what you want, as long as you aren't advertising yourself as an albatross. Believe me, there are plenty of other squirrels out there to hook up with. So tip number three is know what you want. A number of years ago, there was a really popular movie called He's Not That Into You. So here's the thing that the movie tells you and that other animals tell you. If you have to ask that question, the answer is most likely no. Showing interest is costly. It takes precious energy, time, and frequently resources, or in our world, money, away from you. So whether it's the courtship feeding of cedar wax wings, the serenading of gibbons, or the sultry dance of the flame bower bird, when somebody's really interested in you, they put in a ton of effort. So tip number four is to always be assessing interest. And the key here is that both individuals need to constantly assess interest. And if one or the other is not reciprocating, that's usually a telltale sign. If the female isn't interested, she leaves. If males aren't interested, they leave. No one has to figure it out. It's tough out there in the dating world, and there's a lot of rejection being received and given. So just for some context, I want to throw at you some numbers on the rate of rejection that other species experience. If you're an elephant seal male, it's about 98% of males are rejected all the time. If you're a Mediterranean fruit fly, you're doing a little bit better. You're at 90%. The males are rejected 90% of the time. If you're a long-tailed mannequin, you're right up there with the elephant seals at 98%. The only ones that seem to do a little bit better are your albatrosses. They're hovering at about 30% rejection rate. So here's the thing. Don't worry about being rejected. It happens to everyone. Call up your inner Mediterranean fruit fly, dust yourself off, and put yourself out there to dance another day. So tip number five, accept rejection. There you have it. You have the top five tips for the Animal Pocket Guide to Dating. Just to recap, you want to be choosy, be honest, know what you want, assess interest, and accept rejection when and if it happens. With all of that, you are armed with everything you need to have a little bit more fun out there in the dating world. There's a couple of videos up on Wild Connection TV that talk about whether or not someone's interested in you and even how to flirt a little bit like an animal. Thanks for listening, everyone. And tune in next week for a new episode of Wild Connection, the podcast. I'll post in the show notes links to the videos and a link to my website where you can buy a copy of the audio version of Wild Connection, What Animal Courtship and Mating Tell Us About Human Relationships. Happy Valentine's Day.